0: Health by Heather Hirsch, a podcast dedicated to uncovering many of the women's health issues many of us are wondering about, but few of us are talking about. My mission is to expose the current gaps in knowledge and care on all things women's health. Enjoy. Hey ladies, thank you so much for joining me today. Today I'm doing a solo cast entitled five things you can do to help change midlife women's healthcare, and in order for us to change the landscape of midlife women's health we need to do something we need to take action we need to form support groups there's a lot that we need to do unfortunately so sit down buckle in your seat belts because we've got a lot to unpack in this podcast enjoy all right, guys, so right off the bat, I want to give you the five main things I've outlined that together we can do to help change the landscape for midlife women's health care. All right, first thing we can do is we're going to talk about it. As uncomfortable and awkward as it is to start talking about hot flashes in the workplace, we need to open the dialogue and start talking about midlife women's health. Yeah, Your boss might not want to hear about your hormones, totally get it, but talking about it is going to be one of the first steps that we can do to change the landscape for midlife women's health. Number two, we women need to demand more. We need to demand more from doctors, from educators, from researchers, from our partners, from our employees. We need to demand more, and we're going to get into that as well. Number three, we need to be educated. Now, I know that there is there's probably many women who feel overeducated, and we need to talk about where are the right sources to get that type of education and uh, what is really the way best way to filter out some of the fluff or some of the myths about midlife women's health care and menopause and perimenopause. Number four. Women's health is political, so we need to stay politically active. And whether you like the idea of politics or you shy away from politics, it is just an unfortunate or it's just a, it's just a part of women's health. So we need to be following politics and so we need to understand how politics are involved in women's healthcare so that we can continue to make a change and make a difference. And number five is love yourself. That one seems like an easy and obvious one, but I'm going to jump into that in a minute here. All right, since I gave you the five right off the bat, let's spend a little bit of time digging into what exactly I mean by each of these five things. All right, number one is talk about it. So I think one of the first places that we can start talking about um, either the hormonal changes in perimenopause or some of the symptoms that we're having in menopause is in support groups. There fortunately is tons of support groups for perimenopause, menopause, and you can find these on Facebook by simply typing in the search word menopause. I have a support group called Menopause and Miracles, and by no means is that the biggest one. There is lots of other menopause support groups out there on Facebook, and even if you don't feel like you want to chime in, it's nice to read and know that people are going through some of the same things that you are, because I really want you to not feel isolated and not feel alone, because it's can be very common and at times you can feel very, very isolated, which can further mood issues and sleeping concerns. So I want you to communicate and connect with other people. And so a Facebook group is a really good option to start. There is tons of influencers also on other social media platforms. A lot of people use Instagram and you know, you can use it as you see fit. You might not like Instagram. You might not like Facebook, but I am going to link some resources below of people that I tend to follow who I think really provide some great resources back to Instagram. There's lots of people who post about um, food, for example. So there's a menopausal chef, there's perimenopausal nutrition, um, there's menopause doctors in uh, in the UK. Um, so Manchester menopause doctor or menopause doctor. There's lots of doctors as well in the United States who are also on Instagram and um, also on Twitter. So Twitter is another place. Um, there's a, lots of different ways that you. you. You can meet people through Twitter, and also there's lots of meetups. So going from using your computer to going in person, you can actually talk to people in real life. I know it's something we do so little of these days, But meeting up in person actually really brings this to the next level because you get to go from being behind your computer screen, which is a nice, safe place, to being out in public and discussing something you may feel very uh, awkward about, right? You know, who wants to talk about dry vaginas or sweating in front of your bosses? But when you're in a group and you're together, I think this can really make a huge difference. I want you to also talk amongst your friends. I know that some of my uh, friends, uh, some of my patients tell me their friends talk about this all the time and share resources, and some of them don't share with their friends what they're going through. But if you already have friends, if they're in the same age group and you think or you notice they may be going through some of the same things, this is important to talk about because uh, I talked about this before, it's called the girlfriend effect and I may have made that totally up. The girlfriend effect is um, that advice from your girlfriends is more credible than advice you may get from a doctor or from any other sort of credible outlet. So the girlfriend effect is really strong And this can help you in in making sure your friends aren't doing something that is either unsafe or if they're doing something that is really helpful to them, um, that is, you know, an approved treatment option and they're seeing a a credible physician. um, This is something you might be able to really benefit from. So talk amongst your friends. And also talk among your family You know, this is hard for some people, but if your spouse knows what's going on, they might be able to better help you transition, and he or she may be able to help support you a lot better if you start to discuss some of the things that you think are going on with you. Opening the dialogue amongst children is also super awkward, I'm sure, but can be really helpful, especially for our young women, our daughters. You know, we teach them about puberty, and we teach them about, and then later they learn about pregnancy, but we don't teach them about the final and probably most important transition, which is menopause. So being able to talk to your children can really help you. I hear women say that they're very frustrated that their family doesn't understand what they're going through, and they may be the only one in the house going through this. So it's important that your family knows where you stand um, in terms of your health. So I want you to talk about it. Talk to uh, people in the community. Talk to support groups. You never know what's going to strike some really exciting grassroots, you know, uh, thing in your area that's going to help change the landscape for midlife women's health. If we do not open the dialogue, we simply will not get anywhere. Number two demand more. We just, we have to demand more um, because there is a lack of training and education among physicians, uh, providers, nurse practitioners, physicians, assistants, nurses, the whole gamut. And this also is going to stem into women's health being political, but we'll push that to number four. But there is a lack of training among physicians and providers, even among OBGYN doctors who we hope have the most information about this important reproductive transition, um, or among your family doctor, or among your internist, you know, half of the population goes through menopause. So we, we would expect and hope that our, our doctors and physicians know more about this. But the truth is that it's variable, it's uh, regional, it's um, basically based on certain training or certain experiences. But, but you know, education for menopause um, is really lacking. There's a standardization that is clearly lacking as well. And treatment options, uh, standardized treatment, you know, options, risks and benefits and counseling is also really not standard. So women get a very large mix of um, options from their doctors ranging from Ugh, you know it's it was hard for me too, or you know things that are quite dismissive, up to um, you know ordering a whole bunch of unnecessary lab tests, making a, a patient see many many doctors, um, or doing something that's unapproved, such as compounded hormone replacement, which is really unsafe, up to standard of care. So there's a huge, huge, huge range, and that's that's just quite frankly not okay. I think about another um, medical condition I treated as an internist, for example, hypertension. There is clear standards for hypertension. There is clear guidelines for when to treat hypertension. There's clear data and safety around the medications we most commonly prescribe for hypertension. So in a condition that affects half of the population, right, it blows me away that we don't really have standards of care that we uh, learn in medical training and that we we follow in clinical practice. So we have to demand from our doctors that they know more. If you start saying, I, this answer is unacceptable, or I need to see a specialist, um, they are then going to go back and reflect and say, I really need more training in this area because everyone is asking. It's such a hot topic right now. Let's make menopause a hot topic. Um, and if we do that, that's really going to help inspire and encourage them to get more training, to get more grand round lectures, to get more CME training, um, so that they can treat you and your daughters accordingly. So if you demand more from your physicians, I have a suspicion that that will help. Demand more from your employers and demand more from the workplace, So I'm very interested in menopause in the workplace and how this all plays out because we know that for women who have untreated hot flashes that are symptomatic, their productivity goes down. And that sucks. That's not fair. You know, the fact that for many of us, our hormones fluctuate and that affects our work productivity is a huge disadvantage. Um, And, but it's something that we have to, learn to uh, work around and acclimate to. Um, and again, only by opening the dialogue can we start such a thing. But, you know, just as mothers who have um, lactation uh, rooms or or time to breastfeed has become standard and normal, menopause in the workplace has not made any sort of budge in that, in that sort of realm. Now, I don't know exactly what this would look like. I don't think a uh, uh you know a break is necessarily the thing i don't i don't know exactly how it would look like but for example one clear cut idea is that if you need to see a doctor because of your suffering from menopause you should be able to get to your doctor's office and many people find that getting to the doctor is a huge barrier and so if we could make something more standard like you know i'm of menopausal age and i need to see the, my doctor to discuss this this change. And that is just, you know, accepted. You could get to the doctor and you could get treatment right after you demand more from your doctors. So we also, we need to demand more from our employers. And perhaps there needs to be an understanding of how this physiologic and hormonal change may affect your work um, in a way that is not discriminatory, um, and but is meant to um, help women or to acknowledge that this is, you know, something that that's on the radar that we need to sort of take into account and not be discriminated against for. So I don't know exactly how that would look. You might have great ideas and there may be things that you are doing in your community or in your workplace. So tell me, because the more less we reinvent the wheel, the better. But we need to demand more from our employers. We need to demand more from our, our partners. So um, there's lots of resources for partners. Um, they need to be educated as well. They need to know why you may not be sleeping, why you may need to sleep in another room, uh, why you may not want to go out and have uh, parties anymore or be social or why you don't like to drink alcohol because it may you know cause hot flashes. So they need to understand why you are feeling a change. And so communicating is really Helpful, but we need to demand that if we communicate, they respect that. And this is something I can't change alone, but if we make it standard of care that men understand. Um, a woman's uh, reproductive cycle <laughs> including not just their wonderful ability to bear uh, children um, but if uh, partners and um, spouses understand the this end transition is just as important and to help women through that, I think that would make a huge difference. So we need to demand more from our, our partners as well. All right. Number three is educate yourself. If you're listening to this podcast or if you've listened to any of my podcasts, then I know that you love educating yourself. And congrats because knowing what's going to happen in menopause is half the battle. But we do need to continue to educate ourselves. And this can be not as easy as it looks. And that's because there's lots of places that you can find information and it's not all equally credible. So, one of the best places to get information from is the North American Menopause Society. And that's NAMS for short. So, if you refer, if you ever hear me say NAMS, that stands for North American Menopause Society. And there's North American Menopause Society certified physicians um, out there. So, the way you can do this is go to menopause.org. It's that simple. Menopause.org is a website filled with tons of information, which is sponsored by the North American Menopause Society. There's downloadables, there's lectures, there's things for um, um, physicians and providers, and there's a section for women who may not be in the medical or scientific field. Um, and that can kind of help you sort through some of the information that you can find if you just Google or if you're listening to your friends and you're feeling like you're having a lot of the girlfriend effect. Another great source that I really like is Speaking of Women's Health, and that is its own website as well. It's full of great information, recipes, community, and so much really good, valuable stuff. Of course, there's my website, which is heatherhershmd.com, and I have a series of podcasts, and I also have some social media outlets like Instagram, or I have my Facebook group where I do lots of videos, and sometimes I respond to certain things in the media so that we can break these down and understand them more easily. Educating yourself is really hard when there is a lot of the girlfriend effect, even a lot of the stranger effect, and that's just, you know, people on Facebook or other outlets messaging and saying that, that something that they did, you know, was this miracle option. And unfortunately, miracle options, while they sound too good to be true, probably are just that. They're too good to be true. So you want to make sure information is coming from a credible source when you're educating yourself. Now, another good place where you'd hope you could get some information is from physicians and other providers such as nurse practitioners or physician assistants. As I mentioned just a minute ago, there are specialty physicians who are NAM certified. So that means they have sat for an exam that is given through the North American Menopause Society in past. They also have to take several CME credits um, on menopause over the years so that they are educated on the most up-to-date information about menopause, uh, menopause treatment, and etc. Now, not one size fits all. where Not all NAMS providers Follow the exact same stringent standards. So, while the gold standard, I believe, is to use FDA approved hormone therapy and to counsel a woman appropriately on those risks and benefits, this doesn't mean that absolutely everyone follows that exact same guideline. So, you do wanna try and look for a NAMS provider who is going to help you with your symptoms the best way that fits for you and who is going to, if you're considering treatment, provide um, FDA approved um, hormone replacement. And I say that again and again throughout my podcasts, because one of the things that we need to talk about in the educating yourself section is what not to do. All right. So When you are looking for an option, things not to do um, on that list is going to be using compounded, um, non-FDA-approved hormone therapy. Now, I've talked about this at great length in several of my podcasts. It's a confusing topic, but something that is compounded means that it is not FDA-approved. It means it's unregulated, and it's not been well-studied. It is used with extreme caution because we cannot tell what types of levels you're getting. You could be underdosed. You could be overdosed. And these are really, really dangerous to your health for many, many reasons. For example, I see many women with elevated testosterone levels that's way too high. When that happens, you can have permanent deepening of your voice. You could have permanent enlargement of your clitoris. You can also have acne and scarring that is permanent that doesn't go away with even time or treatment. So making sure you're taking an FDA-approved treatment option is really important for another example is that if you're taking compounded estrogen and progesterone or using creams, you could be getting an imbalance of these hormones, which could lead to a thickening of your uterine lining and possibly uterine cancer. So I highly doubt that anybody wants that to happen. But when When women feel dismissed, when women feel confused that their doctors can't help them, when there's a plethora of information out there that is inaccurate and overwhelming, and the only option seems to be spending thousands of dollars to go to a wellness clinic to get creams of hormones, women will do this. And if we go back and trace those steps, and I think if we talk about this more, if we demand more, and if we educate ourselves, then we are going to find ourselves in a much better position And it's not going to happen overnight, but we need each other's help and I need your help. So another thing you can do is if you're listening to this podcast and you really like it, give it a good review – because that will help more women get to see this podcast. So without help, without your review, without your stars, women will not be able to know that this resource is available to them despite as much marketing and media efforts efforts that I can do on on the weekend. So I need your help in spreading the word about this podcast, about my website, about anything that I'm doing, if you think it's good and it's worthwhile. Moving on to number four is that women's health is political, and we all know this. Um, but how it affects our daily life is uh, confusing and complex. To be you know downright honest, now we would hope that, for example, something that affects half of the population might be more studied. So, it why isn't it? Well, it's Science is political and women's health is political and women's health is a science. So it's, it's, we're just now starting to remove some of the stigma around studying women's health issues. We are just now really getting into a decade where researchers and physicians are interested in sex and gender differences between men and women. For example, there's been lots of uh, studies about the differences between women in heart disease, the differences between men and women who take cholesterol-lowering medications, the differences between men and women taking aspirin. And these are small steps. But, you know, in 2019, we're starting to do that research where we are finding that there are definite differences between uh, men and women or males and females in terms of medication use, in terms of outcomes. So it's going to take, I think, a little bit more time before we get into nitty gritty um, about menopause, about the ways that hormones affect, for example, heart disease or the way that menopause affects diabetes or medication use or et cetera. And while we are doing some, we're definitely not doing enough. There are way too many unanswered questions around a menopause that need more research and more research needs more money. So funding is always going to be the issue. If we could get funding and if people could have protected time to, in, to invest in these questions and to find the answers it would have really more stake in the game, I think. So women's health is political. This is complex even for myself, but I know that changes in political landscape can affect the way women's health is studied and researched. So we need to just continue to stay socially aware and active. We need to make sure we vote. We need to make sure that we're continuing to assess candidates' views on women's health, and we're not just talking the reproductive health that we all know that they all want to talk about. We're talking about caring about women in midlife. We're talking about studying the end of the reproductive cycle for women. And maybe it's just as simple as asking candidates and politicians what they plan to spend funding for research on and in what areas of interest are are they thinking that they're going to explore because we need to stay politically sharp. Going along with this is that the media loves to portray women's health issues in the media as frightening, scary, um, or otherwise uh, disgraceful. So I always say, you know, women's reproductive health is – put out in the media is uh, fear. Either they're doing something wrong by taking that birth control method. They are harming their baby by doing X, Y, or Z. They are harming themselves by taking hormone replacement. So there is fear and guilt surrounding so much of the media headlines around women's health, particularly women's midlife health. And there is no shortage of fear around any of these options. And this just sucks. You know, this is something that I can't take on my own. For example, there's still a black box warning on vaginal estrogen. And despite so much evidence, research, and science showing that vaginal estrogen is safe and effective... Advocates still cannot get that black box removed from vaginal estrogen. And this just continues to spiral, a culture of fear and guilt among women for things that they then may do to try to improve their quality of life. And so reframing this is an absolute must. We need to make women feel empowered Educated and satisfied about the choices they make by providing really good uh, evidence based um, outcomes and discussing risks and benefits in a way that women can really understand without fear mongering, without continuing myths and without making women feel that they need to go to a certain uh, clinics that are very expensive to take medications that are unregulated. See, see how everything is all related, at least in my mind. So if you're following along with me, awesome. If not, I totally get it. Sometimes I do get on my soapbox. Okay. And last but not least, love yourself. So if you love yourself, the universe will repay you in ways that I cannot even list off in this podcast. But you have to love yourself, and you have to love yourself where you are. You may be super confused about menopause, and you know what? You are not alone, which is why myself and many other Providers out there have tried to create um, educational resources for patients. But you're not alone because this is a politically charged, long standing issue that has not been talked about. And making changes in women's health is slow. And it seems to be starting with puberty and then going up to pregnancy and postpartum. And so we have to hit that midlife button. We have to hit that point where we are talking about hot flashes in the workplace or irregular periods in the workplace. Because these are huge issues that face women's quality of life. These are issues that affect women's productivity at work and how much they may be there for making, how they feel their self-worth is, how they function in a marriage, et cetera. So these are like not small, insignificant issues, but this is a landmine of stuff that has to be tapped into. So that's why I was motivated to do this podcast. Five things that I think you can do to help change the landscape for midlife women's health care. So again, talk to your friends, talk to strangers, talk to people in a community where you feel the most comfortable. Demand more from your doctors. Demand more from your employers. Educate yourself. Use some of the resources that I've listed. If you think something feels fishy, if you think something's trying to take advantage of you, Go with your gut instinct because educating yourself is amidst a lot of different options, and I want you to find the one that feels honest, evidence-based, and safe. Women's health is political, and so we have to stay socially aware. It's part of the responsibility that we as women carry among many others, but if we don't stay politically aware, then we could definitely miss out on some options for funding, for research, for education, for community, for advocacy, right, for midlife women's health care. And love yourself because you cannot do any of these things if you don't love yourself, if you don't love yourself where you are, if you don't love yourself enough to get up in the morning, to call that friend, to tell them about your symptoms, to attend that meeting, to listen to this entire almost 30-minute podcast, to get up and take a shower and feel like you can take on the day. Because midlife is a tough time. It can feel alone, and you can feel isolated. So start by loving yourself. You are the only you. You only have this one life. You only have your one body, and it's amazing. So tell yourself it is and treat it like it is. Because if you love yourself, you can accomplish anything. And if your goal, like me, is to help change midlife women's healthcare, then get out there and freaking do it. And tell me about it and tell your friends and leave a review about this podcast. Okay, guys, I hope you had a wonderful 30 minutes with me. I always enjoy anyone who says they listen to this podcast. It warms my heart because I do this in my spare time. Have a wonderful rest of your day and afternoon and keep up keeping on. See ya.